Welcome to the Speakeasy, Mixing Passion, a Fuel Production, established 2023. Welcome to the 19th hole of the Speakeasy Championship, Mixing Passions. We are preparing for our biggest shot. Inside of our read, we see this is a two-finger pour, and we're ready to go. Let's see what happens. The putt is away. It's about 20 feet, breaking two feet left to right. Oh my goodness, it's tracking. It's tracking. It's good! Oh my goodness, it's in It's time to slow down, relax, and enjoy the speakeasy mixing passions. Here we go. Hey there, Fuel Nation. This is Brian Bailey here bringing you our first episode of Speakeasy Mixing Passions. This is our entry level into this new series that I'm so excited to bring you. We are going to take a quick look around the world of the major Scotch whiskey producer, with Scotch whiskeys, Irish, everything in the, the kind of the five main uh, legacy um, distillery areas around the world. Every country nowadays has distillery, and many countries are making whiskeys. Uh, but these are kind of the five big power brokers inside of that. And right here, we're going to actually take a quick tour. Um, inside of this video series, uh, I really want you to understand the differences. We're going to give some tasting notes, kind of how they taste a little bit different. Um, also give you kind of some very simple background of, of how they, they make their whiskeys, kind of how each one separates themselves. And then we'll give some popular brands as well. Uh, some of these were actually uh, Gareth McShay and Mark Sweeney are coming to visit tomorrow. So we're going to do a trip around the world and we're going to drink from all five different categories and get them. They're all pretty, they're pretty novice whiskey tasters. Uh, I think they've drank whiskey in the past, but I think they're a little novice on that. So we're going to take them through how to taste and we're going to start isolating different flavors and get start them on their journey as whiskey connoisseurs as well. And I've actually poured uh, one of these, I guess... Uh, we have red breast, uh, we have Japanese, and we have wild turkey rare brand. I guess those are actually sealed right now. So really this is between a Canadian whiskey and a scotch called Monkey Shoulder. So it's between one of those two. We're going to taste it, talk about it. I'm going to go through and tell you some generic uh, smells and tastes. And we'll see if we can figure out which one this is in by the end of the episode. So to me what I can smell here is I taste like... It, to me, it tastes like baking spices, clovey, nutmeggy, uh, very malty, very malty, and mm, very refreshing, nice, smooth finish. Ooh, that's nice. Definitely get some vanilla overtones as well. So I'm not going to tell you what I just drank. We're going to go through and let's see if you can figure that out. So the first thing we're going to talk about, let's start with the home of whiskey. That would be Ireland. Um, this is where, from what my research shows, started to create uh, or started making whiskey first. Scotland and the Scots are right behind them. But from my research, it looks like Ireland. If you disagree with me, so be it. That's what life's about. Um, so what we're going to do is what makes an Irish whiskey Irish? Well, number one, it has to be distilled in Ireland. It has to use Irish water, um, grains, and things like that. That's what makes it an Irish whiskey. Uh, it has to be distilled at least three years 
in a wood cask. Like in America, it has to be an oak barrel, charred new. For a bourbon, this they say an oak cast or a wood cast. So that gives them a lot of flexibility. And what you see with a lot of Irish whiskeys is they're very creative here in the last 20, 30 years on how they're using different types of barrels, wine barrels, cognac, sherry. Uh, they even use age, uh, use bourbon barrels to make a lot of their aging process to bring in different flavor and notes to the whiskey. Um, so the really cool part again, I think is Irish whiskeys are, to me, are the best gateway entry whiskeys into whiskey because they tend to be the smoothest. They tend not to be in your face crazy. They tend to be very well made, very, very thoughtful, very pleasant and tasting. So to me is a very good gateway into the whiskey market. So I think one of our first episodes is we're going to do uh, Red Breast versus Tell Them Redo. And that's why I'm not going to test. I don't think we're going to drink Red Breast tomorrow. We'll hold that back for another day and we'll probably introduce Fern Colin for our group tomorrow. But again, the understanding of um, Irish whiskeys tend to be a little bit smoother. Uh, I think in Ireland there's a there's a proverb that uh, Gareth McShay, who is Irish, so he's definitive on this, is that in Irish, uh, in Ireland, a stranger is just a friend, a friend I haven't met yet. I think Irish whiskeys are the same way. They're your friend for the whiskeys you haven't tried yet. They're a great place to start. Like I said, tasting notes, kind of things you'll you'll notice with them. You'll get light, uh, fruity flavors. You'll get some vanilla overtones. A lot of cereal malt taste to them. Um, light floral. So again, they're just it's very light and smooth. And this one is a special made red breast. But the red breast 12 year old is probably my favorite of the whiskeys. That's my go-to. I just want to sit down and have a great tasting whiskey. Um, but, so Red Breast is a big brand, very good. And I just bought this one on my last trip to Ireland. This one actually comes from a sherry cask, so it's going to have a little different flavor. Haven't bust this one open. I think I will here in a couple days with some buddies. Um, so with Irish whiskeys, you'll see a lot of times different things written. Like this one is a pot still. So there's some main classifications or types. Um, you'll have single malt. You'll have single grain. You'll have single pot. You'll have blended. Those are kind of the four main categories. This one's a single pot. Tells you how it was distilled. Uh, they used a pot still, which is very Irish, which we'll talk about here in the future. And some, uh, we'll break all these down individually on their own show. But a pot still is a big one. If you see single malt, that doesn't mean it only has malt in it. Single malt means it came from a single distiller that they didn't bring in whiskeys and other blends from outside of the distillery. Uh, you also see single grain, and that's just talking about certain grains that are in the in the actual blend in the mash so again to me irish whiskey are a great great way to start um and that's kind of my intro into whiskeys was irish was kind of how we started um next let's go to the the, the behemoth the big man on campus uh what we call our scotch the so scotches are whiskeys all scotch is whiskey and it is created in scotland so what makes a scotch a scotch yeah, well, it comes from one of the five regions that the distillers are in actually Scotland. Number one, that makes it scotch. Uh, number two is it has to be aged for three years. Um, that, that is a must do, must be distilled and aged in Scotland. Uh, they do allow bottling outside of Scotland so they can send super tankers full of, of scotch and they can actually fill them. But it has to be distilled and aged in Scotland to make it a scotch. Uh, also, um, a lot of times what you'll hear is they'll be peated or smoky flavor. They use peat 
to actually malt the barley. So barley is a, is a hard grain. What you have to do is kind of full it and make it sprout, and then they want to end the sprouting process. They use peat and the smoke and the heat to do that to actually change um, monkey breast and, and allow scotches to have that smoky flavor to them. So that is kind of a, what a scotch is, and, and a lot of tasty notes with a scotch, what you see is you'll get a very malty flavor, very sweet, very malty. You get a lot of vanilla tones, baking spices. Uh, you can get a lot of fruit, like dried dark fruit flavors. And of course, you can definitely get the smoke. So, once again, I definitely smell malt and taste malt. I get vanilla tones. Mm, that's very good. Uh, not trying to kind of guide you in the right direction. Popular brands with actual scotch would be Johnny Walker, Glenfiddich, uh, McAllen. There's tons of them, right? Lots of really, really good scotches out there. And again, they're, they're the behemoth. They're the, you know, as the, the British were conquering and colonizing the world, they brought this great spirit everywhere around the world. So that's why we see scotch everywhere and has such a big following. Uh, next one we'll jump to is America. Uh, we'll talk about, this is an actual bourbon. So American whiskeys are, are, there are there's a classification of whiskeys and bourbon is a subset of that. So every bourbon is a whiskey, but not every whiskey is a bourbon. So that's a great way of understanding what a bourbon is. What makes a bourbon, and we're going to talk mainly bourbon here. We'll talk about Tennessee whiskeys and American whiskeys and things like that in future uh, shows. But with the actual uh, bourbon, what makes it a bourbon? It has to be 51% corn, right? So corn is the main grain, and then they have other grains that kind of uh, fit it. And then from that, uh, so we understand that component. So it has to be corn. It has to be aged in a charred new oak barrel, which is really different than a lot of the, uh, the different uh, whiskeys back here. And what we also learn about this, which is really cool, is it must be aged at a minimum of two years uh, or up to four years. And if so, it has to have a stamp on it. If it's after four years, you don't have to stamp the age. But it, basically, being a bourbon, you have to be able to state that it's between two and four years old. Uh, they're, once again, creating some consistency inside of the brand. To me, you know, the rules for whiskeys are a lot like the rules of golf. They're not made to punish the distiller, they're made to protect the consumer, the golfer, the people competing on the golf course, making sure everybody's playing by the same rules. Um, so that's kind of the legislation side and what makes a bourbon a bourbon. What types of whiskeys are there? So you do have an American whiskey, you have a Tennessee whiskey, you have your bourbons, uh, you have single malt, single, uh, you'd have uh, blended, um, rye is a really big one, I'm a big rye whiskey fan and even high rye bourbons that use a lot of rye in it. I like that spiciness. Um, so what you see a lot of times is there's a, a vast array of American whiskeys outside of bourbon, but bourbon is the number one because bourbons can only be made in America because we've legislated that. And it can only, well, most people could think it can only be made in uh, Kentucky. Not true, it can be made anywhere in the United States, but it can only be made in America because of the uh, laws passed on what a bourbon is. So. Bourbon is, is very American. What do we taste when we taste bourbons? Uh, we get a vanilla note. I, you can start to get a lot more sweetness because of the corn and the, and the new oak. So you tend to get a lot of really sweet vanilla flavors. Uh, you tend to get mm, kind of, I don't know, nutty, fruity flavors. Um, a lot of baking flavors. Um, so again, you, you tend to get a little bit sweeter. Now the finishes are all over the place depending on how they do it and what they are. 
Uh, but again, that is what makes an American bourbon. And all of these have to be distilled and cut to a minimum of 80 proof, uh, which is 40% alcohol, and then they would go up from there. Uh, but again, that is kind of what an American bourbon or whiskey tastes like. So we have Wild Turkey, we have Bullet, Maker's Mark, Buffalo Trace, uh, Jim Beam, you know, Jim Beam is not, uh, Jack Daniels, all different types of American whiskeys. And, and they're everywhere, like I said. So the next thing we're going to talk about are Canadian whiskeys. I think Canadians are, it's probably my most fun when I actually think about um, flavor profiles. So what makes a Canadian whiskey Canadian? Uh, has to be manufactured in Canada. Uh, they actually use a lot of corn as well. They actually use more corn a lot of times than actual a lot of bourbons do. So again, that's going to give you that sweet note. Uh, the really cool, I think the really th cool thing that separates Canadian whiskeys from everybody else. So all these whiskeys create a mash, which would be barley. Almost all of them, they're going to have barley in it or malt, however you want to refer to it. Uh, again, that's just. Anyways, we're not going to get into the craziness. Of it. So there's going to be barley, there'll be rye, there'll be wheat, there'll be other different grains in it. The really neat thing about Canadian whiskeys and their distillers is they distill each grain separately and then they bring it together. So like, you know, so like wild turkey would have, let's say, a certain amount of corn, a certain amount of barley, and let's say a little bit of rye. Well, what Canadian does is, Canadian whiskeys do is they do just a barley blend, they do just a rye blend, and then they do just the... Uh, uh, corn blend and then they bring it together so again just a different way so then when they actually blend their whiskeys they have all these pieces are independent and come together and a lot of people say it changes the flavor of a profile uh, I think you can kind of tell Canadian whiskeys a lot of time they are much sweeter you know maple syrupy uh, which is actually uh, perfect for Canadian whiskeys I guess you get a lot of cinnamon notes you get a lot of vanilla flavors nutty flavors things along that line so the really cool part about a Canadian whiskeys is they just do it a little bit different. Um, you'll see that they have blended. Most of their whiskeys are blended. They do have rye whiskeys and single malts and all that. But most of them are blended. And of course, Crown Royal is the king of Canadian whiskeys. There's also J.P. Weiser, Pike Creek, uh, Canadian Club. There's tons of them. And then, like I said, my first and worst experience was Canadian Mist uh, when I first tasted whiskey as a kid by accident. Um, and then the final one we're going to talk about is Japanese whiskeys. Um, I've never had a Japanese whiskey. This will be my first sample tomorrow with the boys. Um, so the really cool part about Japanese whiskeys is uh, they're they're newer to the market of kind of the big five, and they use a lot of they use a lot of the technology like Scotch. So they kind of mirror Scotch in a lot of ways, except they tend not to be as smoky. Uh, so you'll see a lot of the same notes as Scotch. But they do a lot of different barrel finishes and things like that. So they, they play with flavors inside of the aging process. Um, the really cool part, I think, about the Japanese whiskey that you're going to kind of learn about is there's two main types. There's American oak and Japanese oak. So they'll use American barrels a lot of times to age. But also they use the Japanese oak. But that's really expensive, Japanese oak is. So that on that side of it, um, that increased the cost. Um, by far, this is probably the most expensive bottle I have on the on the table. Uh, most of the like most of these are thirty, forty dollars. Redbreast is getting in the sixties, and this was actually up about seventy five, eighty. So again, just there's a little higher market pricing on a lot of Japanese whiskeys. I think the interesting part, if you look at these two whiskeys, so we look at the bourbon that was aged in a charred new barrel versus the Japanese, you can see that their blend is much blonder. 
Now, how can that happen? Well, this came straight out of the barrel, so the coloring was just that. So a lot of time with blended whiskeys and whatnot, they can actually cut and add water um, to bring the actual alcohol content down. So be careful with coloring because the lighter it gets, it might have been cut. But then there's also, like in Scotch and some of the other whiskeys, you can actually add coloring, Canadian as well. Um, so you can actually kind of fool people by uh, darkness. But if it's coming straight out of the barrel and it's dark, the darker it is tells you the longer it aged. So that kind of gives you a concept there to, to, to chew on and think about. Uh, flavor notes, they tend to be fruity, fruity and floral, lots of honey, uh, lots of citrus, um, sweetness, but a different sweetness in the bourbons. Uh, to me, it's more of a white chocolatey sweetness, like a, more of a candy sweetness, and they tend to be very mellow in their finishes from what I've read. So this is gonna be really cool to try this. Uh, there's tons of companies out there. There's Nika. Um, there's Santori uh, again, and this is Hatazaka. Sorry, I'm sure I butchered that. But again, that is um, Japanese whiskey. So I'm going to finish this off. Still one of my favorites. That I got a little peppery, fiery into it. So, so here, this drink was between the two. It was either the Monkey Shoulder or Crown Royal, and I kind of said it was definitely malty got a little vanilla a little fruit and a lot of baking spices which one do you think it is do you remember which one I referred which one would be closest to that that's right it was actually monkey shoulder this was my first and favorite scotch I tried and then from that I've gotten it Glenn Livens McAllen uh, Glenn Fittich uh, a lot of great scotches out there again the Scots have done wonders with their quality but again this was actually monkey shoulder so now let's jump over and talk about golf. So how are we going to tie golf into this? So now we're going to say we had five big legacy whiskey makers. Now there's five big main course styles that we're going to talk about. Lynx, Heathland, Parkland, Champions, and then the fifth is kind of desert slash sunbelt in Australia. Very, very sandy soils and things like that. So those would be the main five categories we're going to talk about. And let's get started. So let's look at the oldest uh, versions of golf uh, and golf course design. Uh, we'll tie it together with a couple of our whiskeys here. Uh, we're going to talk about Lynx. Uh, Lynx is the oldest. So, old, you know, kind of the old course in, in uh, St. Andrews, Spyglass in the States, Turnberry. Um, very well-known, respected uh, Lynx golf courses. What makes it a Lynx golf course is it's on a coastline, has very sandy soil, uh, so that's very good for, you know, drainage and grass. Uh, it's really bad for farming. Um, that's why, again, this is the main areas where people started to play golf. And also what we learned about um, Lynx courses is they, they tend to be shaped by Mother Nature and not so much shaped by man. Um, also, uh, topography and actual uh, wind and environmental conditions bring toughnesses to the golf course. Uh, a lot of the other styles of golf courses, the architect really makes it challenging and difficult. A lot of the difficulty when it comes to Lynx golf courses is actually the weather and what that brings. Uh, there's also called Heathland. Uh, this is very popular. You will see it in Ireland some, but very popular in the UK. Uh, these are similar to Lynx, but different. Uh, you start to get shrubbery, grouse, different types of grass, but it's uncultivated land. 
we still we might start to see some trees where links courses you really don't see trees at all or shrubs uh you'll get a little bit but you know again as we go to heathland we start to see more and more of that um so the really cool part about heathland courses is certain times of the year when the different uh, uh foliages and shrubberies bloom it can be absolutely beautiful right where the links courses it's just kind of grass um so that's kind of heathland courses black myrrh uh, there's a couple other great ones in the in the UK area, but again, Heathland is kind of the next step away from uh, the Lynx course. Now, the beauty again of, of Heathland courses is they tend to be a little bit softer because then now we are introducing different plants and like so it tends to be a little bit softer than the actual firmness of a Lynx golf course. Uh, from that, then we're going to go to Parkland. Pretty much Parkland is everywhere, but in the United States, almost every golf course is considered a Parkland course, which is Augusta, Pine Valley, you name it. Um, and again, the reason they call these Parklands, it looks like you're at a park. Um, so these are usually cut out of tree lines, very lined with trees, very green, very lush, tend to be softer. Um, but again, the way we play... Links courses and Heathland, you tend to hit lower ball flights because wind is your enemy. Uh, a lot of times as you switch into more Parkland golf, you can actually get away with higher ball flights. Uh, you have to have different controls with the driver because now we're narrowing down fairways with a lot of links and things like that. Fairways are very large and you get lots of run. Uh, pretty much uh, Parkland become carry golf courses. How far can I hit it and carry more so than getting run from it? So you'll see a lot of parklands in the U.S., uh, as well as in Canada. Well, pretty much anywhere they all carry them. Championship courses, again, we see mainly um, inside the United States, and these are really built for tours. So if you think of like TPC Sawgrass, TPC Scottsdale, where they actually build berms up around certain greens to create stadium seating. So this was kind of the next uh, kind of iteration inside of Big Golf for TV is creating fanfare, creating a, a way that the fans can interact with the athlete like another sports. You really see this at the Waste Management out in the desert at TPC uh, Scottsdale where, you know, again, they actually build grandstands around one par three and it gets a little bit wild. If you've ever seen the videos, uh, you can see kind of how wild that is. If you haven't seen the videos, go to YouTube and just type in... Uh, waste management fans and you will see some really really funny stuff people being funny and they probably a lot of this was involved um so that would be kind of your american side and then the final one would be kind of your desert slash uh sand belts you know so these would be kind of your in australia it's called the sand belt it's a very interesting uh foundation where a lot of the it's built on clay but you know, in prehistoric times, uh, storms and stuff deposited a bunch of sand. So it's a sand-based soil. So again, really good for growing grasses, really bad for growing, uh, you know, farmlands and things like that. So it, I've even read that in some parts of the sand and the sun belt, there's actually 80 meters deep of sand. So drains well, really good place for golf courses. And this is kind of the, the bread basket of golf inside of Australia. Uh, and also with the deserts, you'd be looking, you know, again, in the U.S., you got a lot of desert courses through Palm Springs, um, through Arizona, New Mexico. Uh, so you, you kind of get that. Even in Oregon, there's some beautiful desert golf courses in Oregon. 
So if you don't know Oregon, there's an actual mountain range that runs through Morgan, uh, Oregon. So anything coast side is very lush and green. And anything over the mountain side range, there's actually a pretty good desert and some beautiful golf courses, kind of where Bend and things are. So desert courses, again, really bad for farmland, but really good for golf courses for growing grass if you can get water to them. Um, so those are kind of your five main types. And then you can break it down even deeper into executive courses to, you know, kind of layouts, yardages, and things like that. But I think, again, if you kind of think of legacy whiskey as well as legacy golf course design, what you really see are these three that stand out. And again, you're looking at Lynx and Heathland courses, and then you're looking at Parkland, all three, but more American, and then championship courses more on the U.S. side for TV. Because you know America, we love TV, and we love trying to be a celebrity. Um, so again, I think that's really interesting in that the legacy uh, whiskey makers, the biggest three, are the same legacy golf designs and golf courses where they're they're located at. Because like I said, the more I've done research into whiskey, I've seen this interwoven um, connectedness between the two. So that's again why we came up with Mixing Passions as an actual uh, show topic, because these two... Uh, Passions of mine are really interwoven throughout history, in which we're going to go more into more detail on future shows. But again, I hope this was kind of informative on the whiskey side to get you thinking about different types of whiskeys, looking at uh, introduction whiskeys of being Irish, working through your different, the three big Western uh, brands, Irish, Scotch, American, and bourbon. And then, of course, don't forget about our lovely friends to the north, the Canadians. And then the Japanese as well, starting to produce some wonderful whiskeys. And I'm looking forward to tasting that. Uh, we look forward to bringing you more episodes. Um, our next episode will, will drop next week. And like I said, we'll have Mark Sweeney, uh, Gareth McShay, and myself going around the world, tasting probably three of these whiskeys. We're going to change out two. Uh, that way, in the future, we can actually taste and, and use um, monkey shoulder and stuff for some different things in the future, as I have it mapped out in my brain. Um, so I think that's all exciting. Uh, we're also going to talk about how to taste whiskey. We're going to do a trip around the world, and then we're just going to have uh, a great conversation for our podcast, In the Hunt, uh, with Mark, myself, and Gareth talking golf while enjoying a, our favorite whiskey from that sampling. So that's all coming out here in the next couple weeks. Uh, we're excited to bring you this. If you have any questions or if you want to correct me on anything where I butchered, which I probably did, uh, please send it to me. I'd love to hear from you. As well as on Facebook, I've actually, I mean Instagram, I've actually started my own Speakeasy Mixing Passions uh, page. So I'm going to start uh, introducing photos of the different whiskeys we're going to try. I'm going to keep people updated there. So go to uh, Speakeasy Mixing Passions. Well, Speakeasy underscore Mixing underscore Passions. And that's where I'm going to start putting what we're getting ready to drink. So if you want to join us in a lot of this tastings and things along that lines as you can see what we're getting ready to do and you can go out and do it yourself and if you're wondering why this bottle is in the back here completely empty uh this is going to be our infinity bottle so we're become we're going to become master blenders in this show so if you follow what we do and what we we sample we're going to start adding whiskey into this bottle and we're going to blend all the different whiskey types that we're sampling and we're going to create our own blend so at one point, you know, after we get about half a bottle in there, we'll sample it and see what it does. And then we'll sample it again later on as the bottle gets fuller. So it'll be kind of interesting. We'll take all these different flavors and blendings and, and notes we taste, put them together, and see what we create. I think it will be kind of fun. So that's kind of our, our uh, specialty blending project inside of this video series as well.
thank you for your time. I look forward to hearing from you and engaging with you. And again, I look forward to bringing more people inside of my uh, speakeasy corner in my putting room and talk more about whiskey and golf and life. Thank you so much and forward and onward. Thank you. This has been a fuel production.